Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Coach the Coach Radio. Brought to you by the Business Radio X Ambassador Program, the no-cost business development strategy for coaches who want to spend more time serving local business clients and less time selling them. Go to brxambassador.com to learn more. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Coach the Coach Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today we have with us Jacob Engel, the Prosperous Leader. Welcome, Jacob. Thank you, Lee. Appreciate it for having me on. Now, before we get too far into things, tell us about the Prosperous Leader. Uh, How did you become one? Right. So my background is a family business background. My dad was a Holocaust survivor and came to this country without family, without money, without language, and built a huge enterprise. And unfortunately, he passed young, relatively young, age 65 today, that's young, but had left a significant uh, enterprise, very large family business, actually quite a few different businesses and real estate. And I had worked together with him for many years. I was the chief operating officer for many years. And I tried to reflect back on, I tried to reflect on some of the lessons I've learned from him, some of the important leadership things that I thought were hugely important for myself and my family and for others that knew him. And I came across this very interesting passage from Stephen Covey in The Third Alternative, where he talks about prosperity. And prosperity, he says, are people that are authentic, have values, have goals, have objectives, impact, and the money follows. But the the first part of prosperity is really the person themselves. And it really reflected much about my dad, who was very authentic, did not lose his values, and created this huge enterprise, but all based upon his authenticity and his values that he had brought along with him and that we and myself have tried to emulate going forward. So now in your work today, are you still working with that family run business or is your practice uh, kind of separated from that now? Right. Correct. So I do have some financial connections to the family business. It's been split over time. Uh, Recently we've sold one of the businesses But mostly today, I work with founders and family business owners. I've got a special place in my heart, passion for helping family businesses move to the next generation. It was a challenge for us. It was a challenge for me. I was the first of the second generation. So I've written some books and really trying to help people uh, create that leadership for moving their business either to the next level or the family business to the next level. Now, I've had the privilege of um, doing a show on family business, and I was unaware of kind of a lot of the nuances when it comes to running a family business. To me, a business is a business, but a family business really takes on uh, a different kind of different layers and different levels of uh, just emotional connection and and there's a lot more moving parts that a lay person really isn't aware of unless they're kind of in one. Can you talk about the challenge of secession? Because that is a, at the heart of a lot of the problems in family business. Most American family businesses 
don't kind of make it a, a generation or even two generations beyond the founder. But in some European countries, that's not the case. Some There's, you know, 500-year-old businesses in, in some European countries. Can you talk about some of the challenges in that regard? Sure. And actually, I've written a, a, a book or a booklet called The Ten Commandments of Family Business Succession. because So many people had asked me about this question. And it is a huge question. And you're right. The U.S., the statistics are somewhat about 70% do not make it to the next generation. And uh, part of what I've done is I tried to study the 30% that did to see what they've done differently. And I came across some sort of 10 things that they've done differently. And you're right. Europeans specifically have a much better culture of passing on generation to generations. And some are 500 and even beyond years old. In the Ten Commandments, I sort of list 10 different things. What I'd say, number one, is that it takes quite a few years, five to 10 years, to prepare for succession. It's it's a process. It's not an event. And oftentimes, the founder is busy running their business and really doesn't take that time out to step back and say, how is my succession going to work? How do I, how do I start to implement a second generation and it takes five to 10 years. So th- there needs to be a lot of time put into it and thought and process. Uh, the, this, probably the number one thing that uh, I, I highly recommend, it was actually a, a, a New York Times article that I have still on my wall. And what they've written, and I'm actually quoting the article, is in studying more than 13,000 family businesses in the last decade, he identified three preconditions for successful succession. Number one, a board. And the board that both holds the chief chief executive accountable and also the family accountable. Number two is formal family meetings, which different to the board, which is strictly business, is also family meetings where the business and the family are discussed. And strategic planning is where the company and family continuation gets realigned to the goals of what everybody wants to achieve. And those are probably the three most important things, a board, a family council, and strategic planning. Now, in your work, um, are the, the folks that are calling you these family businesses, are they having some uh, struggle or crisis that they're trying to they need help navigating, or are they coming to you in a more proactive sense? So I've I've got different scenarios. Some of them are founders that really haven't even begin to think of next generation. And one of my questions inevitably is, what's the exit plan? Is it are you guys planning to sell? Are you planning to bring a next generation? Did you think of the different? options, and most people have not. So I will start the process. Uh, I've been called into scenarios where uh, recently I've got called into a company where the founder said, you know, I I brought in all my kids into the business. I need your help. And I said, you know, it's very tough once you've brought in all your kids and have not really created guidelines to then start to figure out how to do this right. So probably the best would be when, and I've had scenarios where people call and say, you know, I'm thinking of bringing in my kids to the business. I'd like to pass it over. How do we do it right? How do we set it up right? And that's probably the best case scenario. 
And then um, do you help them navigate kind of the family dynamics of, say you have some kids that are in, some kids that aren't, but then how do you divide it up if somebody passes? Like there's so many moving parts and so much nuance to this. If you don't have good communication and, and like you said, strategic planning, you're setting yourself up for trouble. Trouble, right. And you've touched on such important point, Lee. Oftentimes, family family owners, most of their assets, if not all of their assets, are wrapped up in the business. And they might have other family members they'd like to give some of their assets to. So they believe and think that the best thing is to give them part of their business asset. Now, that can be a mistake when if there are some family members in the business and some family members not in the business because my belief is, and the research that I've done over and over again, is that you want to separate that. So five to 10 years can sometimes also mean, how do we develop other assets out of the business so that we're not commingling everybody into one pot? And then you can divide the assets strategically. So those are some things that require good thinking, good planning, strategic planning, and with the with the right time and the right help. And by the way, part of the the board that we talk about is having multiple disciplines around the table. So you might have, you know, accountant lawyers and estate planners and people who understand family business so that you get a great perspective of how to take that business to the next level and how to bring in the next generation in, in the most effective way. So now in your work, um, you're, we're talking a lot about the family business, but you're also helping uh, organizations grow, right? That's a, that's a big part of your work as well? Correct. Right. Right. So founders, a lot of them are people that have started a business. They, when they start the business, they sometimes don't imagine or can't imagine the growth that, that, or the success of the business. And therefore, they sort of build a, a what, what I call a very shallow foundation. And then when they start to grow this business and sometimes exponentially, the business outgrows the infrastructure and, and there are a lot of challenges in taking that business to the next level. So I get called in a lot with founders and helping them rebuild the foundation, uh, make sure they have the right people in the right seat and the right bus to take the business to the next level. And then part of that would be also, what is their exit strategy? I really firmly believe that every founder needs to decide somewhere along the line what is going to be their exit strategy. And it can also mean leaving it in the family, can also mean other types of exits, but really having a plan is hugely important. Now, it sounds like uh, Covey has uh, affected your philosophy or methodology somewhat, and that's another time you're quoting, you know, keeping the end in mind. How uh, important was Covey and his work in your kind of the way that you developed your practice? Right. Yes, that's a that's an excellent point, Lee. Thank you for when I became the COO, uh, we, we were in the spice business and I traveled the world over for spices, which was fascinating on its own. But when I became COO, I realized that I was really in the people business. And I myself did not have training on running a large organization. So I started to read up and everything that I can attend every seminar and put my hands on anything and everything about leadership. And I did come across Stephen Covey had just published the seven habits 
and it became a bestseller. And I, when I read the book, I had like these uh, epiphanies and aha moments on almost every page. So I traveled to Prava, Utah, where the Covey Institute was, and I got trained under some of Stephen Covey's great people there. And it became, and if, if you know, if, if your audience is familiar, and many people are familiar with the seven habits, there's, there's so much in there, but it really gave me those thinking skills and, and the guidelines for myself. And, and Stephen Covey talks a lot about the private victory versus the public victory, victory over self. And, and it was, it was hugely important for me to go through that exercise the, in terms of personal mission statement and different things and values that were, and I've been able to uh, extrapolate that over and over and over, both in our own, in my own family, my own business. And today I am a certified seven habits implementer. So I do incorporate a lot of that into the prosperous leader. And my book has a lot about the very key important points of the seven habits, time management, uh, win-win listening skill sets and they're still timeless and I, I still refer back to them. So the answer is, yeah, it's an important part of what I do. Now the prosperous leader, talk, can you talk about um, like the meaning of the word prosperous? Like how are you defining prosperous? Cause that could have a different uh, definition to different people. And, um, and how did you land on that as kind of uh, uh, a foundational term in your work? So as I mentioned, I came across that and Stephen Covey had a book written, not so well known, but it's called The Third Alternative. And The Third Alternative refers to habit six, which is the habit of synergy, that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And the concept that Stephen Covey talks about is that there's my way, your way, and then a third way. If you think win-win and you allow different people and different ideas to come together, you can always come up with a third alternative that will be better than the first two. And he calls that synergy. But in his book, The Third Alternative, he mentions that you know, many people get carried away with the wealth and fame and power. And he says the key objective is really what he calls prosperity, which is internally for coming out of his idea of victory over self, private victory. And he says, once you have that prosperity mindset, that's that, that winning mindset of yourself and having control of your own destiny, your own goals, your objectives, uh, the question he likes to ask and which I ask all my clients are, you know, if money is not the issue and you can't fail, what would you be doing with your life? And it's it's the focus of creating this prosperity both for yourself and for other people. And it's a, it's a word which encompasses a lot, but in this particular case, and my book is all about the, some of the points that Stephen Covey mentions in his uh, book, The Third Alternative. And then, um, so pr uh, prosperity goes well beyond money. Right. If, if anything, it's nothing about money. And it's all about the prosperity mindset. Uh, there's something very interesting in which uh, Covey talks about. It's called the paradigms, the paradigm shifts. And what, what he talks about is the mindset, meaning that we need to have a mindset of, of our own prosperity, of we can achieve things that we put our minds to, and that the impact and the goals and the objectives that we want to achieve 
which are hugely important. And secondary is money that comes along with it. But success and, and you know, I think everybody would probably agree that not that oftentimes we see people with a lot of money and they're very miserable. And uh, with all the billions, it billions does not bring happiness. And people need to have the the a sense of impact, a sense of goals and objectives. And I like to talk to founders of, of asking them, you know, why did you start this business? What was it important for you? What impact do you want to have? How do you plan to do that? Because if it's only about the money, that's that's a shortcut to misery, in my opinion. And then are there some some kind of tangible steps a person could be taking today in order to live a more prosperous life? Right. So they, you know, the, the saying goes that great read, uh, great leaders are great readers. And unfortunately, le- reading has become a, a today with the short attention span and uh, there's more books ever written, but people don't read much. Uh, but the, the the truth is that we really need to fill our minds with uh, different schools of thought, uh, spending time with ourselves and with coaches or with people that will help us think through our deepest meanings, our uh, our values. And once we can touch those things, then we can have a clear path to where where do we want to be? What's the end in mind? How are we going to get there? Um, in, in terms of a step by step approach. The the idea is really that for, you know in the first three habits, excuse me, the habit number one is really being proactive about the things we want to achieve, understanding what are the goals, what are the objectives, what's the impact, what's important for us, what is, what what are the values that we want, and then define and then create that that systematic approach of making sure that on a daily basis and a weekly basis and monthly basis we're always focused on what are the goals what are the objectives because the flip side is is that we what we call project add we jump from thing to thing we follow every shiny object and then we end up just back where we started from and i can't tell you how many people that i've met over and over where they just go around around in circles because of that it's not really having that kind of clarity of mission of what they're really trying to accomplish. So they get distracted by other kind of maybe tangential things. Right. That's, that's a huge point. The other thing is that we sort of live somebody else's life. And, and you know, there's a, cute, a great quote that, you know, live your own life because everybody else is taken. And we really don't take the time out to figure where is it that we want to be? What impact do we want to achieve? Uh, Simon Sinek, uh, who's had this famous TED talk, you know, says, start with the why, why, what, it, why, is, why are you doing what you're doing? What's important. And when I ask people that question, it, it requires them to sit back and think, but the overall answer is that if we don't have goals, then, and we don't have clear objectives, we just might end up, uh, you know, just going around the circles or off the deep end or doing things that we wake up years later and say, that's really not what my life should be all about. Yeah, I think that Covey has a, a story that he tells about the putting the ladder of success and finding out you put it on the wrong building. On the wrong wall. Correct. Right. That's a, a very famous uh, saying of his that uh, we, we find out where we're lean, leaning the ladder against the wrong wall. Now, in your work, um, what does that kind of initial uh, conversations look like? Uh, I would imagine they're struggling in some area. They would need some help. Uh, 
they they find out about you and your team. What are those first conversations like in terms of finding out if it's the right fit, finding out if it is something that you can help them with? Right. Right. So in, in my process, what I what I first like to do is I you know, I usually have long conversation with the founder or the executive and to really understand where they are, what are their challenges and where they're looking and what is it they're looking to achieve. I also like to take the time out to speak to at least some of the team, if not at least the senior members of the team, to hear their objectives uh, and, and understand where are they in the process and what do they feel is important about the about the organization and its mission and vision, and also to get a understanding of do we have the right people in the right seat in the right bus, because that is hugely important. Uh, Jim Collins in his book Good to Great points that out that. That is the number one prerequisite for a successful team. Once we be able to define that, I, usually what we try and do is I spend a few days together going through the prosperous leader, and I've got a whole presentation on that, and to make sure that we're all on the same page, that we're all singing from the same song sheet. We've got and define the goals, the objectives, making sure that everybody is committed to, and we might have debate and healthy debate, which is hugely important, but, and and creating the strategic plan that we all buy into. And I've had many, many times where a founder might've had an original idea of what their objective is, but then as we sat down with the team and we looked at where we are, where we want to be, we realized that, like we said, the, the ladder's on the wrong wall and we need to change either position or we need to change the, the, the methodologies that we're using. So we, we've had very, very healthy debate, and I encourage healthy debate. But at the end of the day, we want to come up with a very, very clear strategic plan. Uh, and I just published something called the Ten Commandments of Strategic Planning, where I cover the step-by-step approach, how we come up with a very, uh, very well-defined plan. It, usually it'll run five years. And it'll define what we're doing on a daily basis and a weekly, monthly. And we can look back and say, are we on plan? Are we not on plan? And that document becomes sort of a living and breathing document, which we use to implement. Now, I will sort of add, Lee, that I've I've seen many companies with a lot of fancy plans on their bookshelves, and they spent a lot of money on it. And all it does is it gathers dust. So what I do tell the senior team is that there needs to be a significant commitment to implementation because a plan without implementation is worthless. It's not even worth the paper written on. And now what I do differently than many other coaches or consultants is that I actually help implement because I do believe that unless there's a full plan for implementation, the chances of it getting done become slimmer and slimmer. It gets pushed on the wayside. Other things become more important. And there needs to be a very significant commitment to implementation. And then the implementation process can help the company move or the organization move in the direction. So I do an evaluation. We do a planning. And then we do implementation. That's sort of my three-step process. So your coaching goes into consulting at that point. Right. I, I, I would sort of say that I'm less coach and more consultant at that point. Where I do a lot of coaching or leadership coaching is specifically when we have second generation and I'm coaching them up into leadership 
or if we have other people in the team that need to be coached up and inevitably people need to be coached up. I believe that everybody needs to be coached up at one point or another. So I, it's a combination. It's a combination of coaching and consulting. Right. And based on your um, kind of background, that makes perfect sense. I mean, you've been there, done that, and you've learned a lot from a lot of smart folks over the years. So, I mean, I think you're uniquely qualified to be able to execute on both of those. Correct. And that's really what I bring to the table is that I've been there, done that. It's not academic. It's really been in the trenches. I've been almost in every position. And the, that makes a huge difference in the expert, expertise that I bring to the table. Now, um, what do you need more of? How can we help you? So I have, I have a passion for certain things. <laughs> and those, you know, those things that I'm passionate about, and, 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 and again, it's that, that's sort of my why, is helping second generation so if there's anybody in your audience that is either thinking of family business, has built a family business, and hasn't made their decision yet of what their exit strategy is, I'd love to be part of that decision-making process. And I, and I can be part of that process in many, many different ways, either being part of their board and if, or part of the actual leadership training or, and, or part of the actual implementation. But that's really my, my passion to help family businesses and really get that statistic, uh, you know, the, the statistics of next generation into next businesses are, are dismal. If 70% are, and, and unfortunately some of them are lost, hugely lost opportunities. So that is my number one passion. I'm passionate about help, helping companies grow, taking them to the next level. I will do, you know, multiple things which are not necessarily costly, including a strategic plan. But again, I, I do tell people I'm more than happy to do the strategic plan if there is a commitment to implementation. If they can do it on their own, that you know, that's something that would be hugely beneficial. I've got a great eye for strategy. I've done it over and over again and uh, help companies figure out where their value is, how they can capitalize that on, on in, in their businesses and how to get everybody aligned on the same page, because that's key. If you've got everybody aligned, you've got your senior team, everybody's focused, everybody's the same, that will make a huge difference in the success of the business. So I'm very passionate about those things. Uh, I'd love to start a not-for-profit helping entrepreneurs get into business. And that's sort of a dream that I've been working on. And so I've created some online courses for that, but uh, it's been slow in taking off. If somebody has a great idea how I've spoken to different organizations, that would be something I'd be also very interested in doing. Now, if somebody wants to learn more about The Prosperous Leader, the book, get their hand on some of the courses and the learnings, or maybe have a conversation with your team, is there a website? Correct. So the, my book website and my main website is theprosperousleader.com. And I also have a, a, an online course website, which is prosperouscourses.com. And there's the contact there. They can contact me or some of my other family, uh, some of the other members by email, by phone. And I'd be more than happy to, I, the way I usually take most of the intake calls because I really want to get a feel of who's the person, what are their interests. And I, I work with a lot of different coaches. I've got many different coaches that I work with myself. 
that we collaborate and we work together. And depending on the scenario, depending on their location, I would work with them uh, if they need it in person, if it's over Zoom. Zoom has changed a lot for this because now we're doing a lot of different you know, Zoom stuff. So there's uh, many different opportunities that how we can help people take that to the next level. Now, if um, uh, I really appreciate you sharing the story today. It's important work, and we appreciate you. The website, once again, is the, it, the word the is part of the, the URL. It's T-H-E-P-R-O-S-P-E-R-O-U-S leader.com. Jacob Engel, thank you so much for sharing your story. You're doing such important work, and we appreciate you. Thank you very much, Lee. And your work is also hugely important. And I really appreciate you having me on today. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Coach the Coach Radio.